I always like to end on a positive note, so here is a rousing, uplifting song which is guaranteed to cheer you up. This is the songwriter Tom Lehrer playing a concert in Oslo in 1967. When you attend a funeral, it is sad to think that sooner or later those you love will do the same for you. Lehrer, who is still alive at 92, is kind of the original Weird Al Yankovic. He wrote songs about political issues that were very funny and very, very dark. This one is about nuclear war. It's called We'll All Go Together When We Go. For if the bomb that drops on you gets your friends and neighbors too, There'll be nobody left behind to grieve And we will all go together when we go What a comforting fact that is to know Universal bereavement, an inspiring achievement Yes, we all will go together when we go When you study a subject as dark as the bomb, you get a really sick sense of humor. You learn to laugh at really dark things, because otherwise you would spend all your time crying. Tom Lehrer got that. Not all his songs were about the bomb, but a lot of them were. And this one, I think it's the best, because it really gets to the heart of the issue. We will all burn together when we burn. There'll be no need to stand and wait your turn. It makes no sense to talk about winning a nuclear war. Not when nuclear weapons can do so much damage. We'll all go together when we go. And if we don't want to go, then we need to do that together too. I'm Jeffrey Lewis, and you're listening to The Deal. This is the final episode, The Power to Hurt. When the air becomes uranius, we will all go simultaneous. Yes, we all will go together when we all go together. Yes, we all will go together when we go. As I'm recording this, the nuclear deal with Iran is on life support. The U.S. pulled out in 2018 and pushed for more sanctions. The other countries who signed the deal, Britain, France, Germany, Russia, and China, they are still sticking with it. Iran is too, although it has taken a series of steps back from the deal to protest the new sanctions. It's starting to feel a little like old times, which is to say things are not looking good. You went for a hike? No, I went for a run. Today was the hottest day we've had. Snow's melting, and yesterday we were up on the mountain with snowshoes, but today... uh, A while back, I called up Scott Sagan. He's a professor at Stanford. He's also a friend and mentor of mine. I wanted to talk to him about the trip we take every year to the Japanese city of Hiroshima. Every August, around the anniversary of the atomic bombing, the local governor invites experts like Scott and me to meet in a big hotel ballroom and discuss how to eliminate nuclear weapons. One morning, before the meeting, I ran into Scott running. I remember when I ran into you when you were doing your run that morning. Do you think Uh about, like, the big stuff when you're running, or are you, like, just, like, listening to music? I'm listening to music. 
Although what, what I find sometimes when I run, I have ideas early in the morning when... He says when he goes for a run, not only does it clear his head, he can feel his synapses opening up. I'll stop and write new title, and then I'll keep running, because if not, I'll forget about it. Yeah, Half the time, it's a crappy idea. <laughs> like, I can't believe I thought that was really, really clever. But the other half of the time, you say, oh, yeah, okay, that's, that's the way it should be put. I'm quizzing Scott about where his ideas come from. Because after we had visited Hiroshima a couple of times, Scott had this really important insight about the lessons of what happened there. I think people have, like, the wrong idea about Hiroshima, you know? Well, I think they have the wrong idea about Hiroshima. But I think they also have the wrong view about nuclear weapons more broadly. But I think they also have the wrong view about The trip can be very sobering. I usually visit the Hiroshima Peace Museum, where one exhibit in particular really hits me. Tattered uniforms, the ones worn at school by children hurt in the bombing. For Scott, the one that really hits him, it's a tricycle. There's a burnt-out, slightly melted tricycle in a glass case at the museum. And the fact that this toy survived when the rider clearly did not, um, I find particularly moving. Maybe you've seen the photos taken after the U.S. dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. The city is in ruins. It's also in black and white. Of course, it's not at all like that today. When Scott says people have the wrong idea about Hiroshima, he means two things. Hiroshima is a modern Japanese city. And um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that it has a very good baseball team. One thing that, whenever possible, Jeffrey and I do is go to a Hiroshima Carp baseball game together on one of the evenings after debating grand strategy and nuclear weapons disarmament. It's nice to go and debate whether you should take out the starting pitcher and have a relief pitcher put in instead. That's one way people have the wrong idea about Hiroshima. Today, it's a vibrant city with a great baseball team. But people also think an atomic bombing could never happen again, that our views about the bomb have evolved. In 1945, a huge majority of Americans, more than 80%, supported President Truman's decision to drop the bomb on Japan. Today, when Americans are asked about it, most people think Truman made the wrong choice. A number of really distinguished scholars have argued that that decline in support means that the American public has changed from 1945 to today. That the American public strongly believes that it is wrong to kill innocent civilians in conflict. Hiroshima was horrible. It was a mistake. We're ashamed of it and would never do that again, right? That's the lesson a lot of people would like to take away. But Scott, he suspected that was the second thing we get wrong about Hiroshima. The trips to Hiroshima got me really interested in trying to figure out, is the American public really different today than in 1945? Scott thought about this question for a while, and then he called up a former student. So there's a theory that um, people see nuclear weapons as fundamentally different than conventional weapons. This is Ben Valentino. Today, he's a professor at Dartmouth. Like Scott, Ben was aware of the idea that there might be strong barriers against using nuclear weapons again. A barrier that one might call a taboo. 
The reason that nuclear weapons have not been used in the last 75 years is because primarily of this taboo that has been built up around them. It's a taboo in the same sense that there's a taboo against cannibalism or incest. It's not just that cannibalism has serious drawbacks. It's that for most people, it doesn't even feel like an option. These aren't actions, according to this view, that you consider, weigh the costs and benefits, and then decide, no, I'm not going to eat my friend. Instead, I'll have a hamburger. Um, You say simply, friends are not for eating. It doesn't even enter my mind. And the theory is that's the same thing for nuclear weapons. The nuclear taboo. When Ben was in college in the early 1990s, this idea picked up steam. The Cold War was over. The Berlin Wall had fallen. Gorbachev visited uh, Stanford when I was there, and I got to stand in a long line of people and shake his hand. The threat of nuclear war seemed to disappear. People moved on. Students were encouraged to study other topics. I believe I had an early conversation with my thesis advisor in which I talked about an idea for a thesis involving nuclear weapons. And he asked me whether that was really the wisest thing to focus on at that moment. Instead of the bomb, Ben spent most of his career studying genocide in places like Bosnia and Rwanda. Those acts of mass violence and extreme cruelty made him really question whether people today were, in fact, more enlightened. After having spent a decade looking at the darkest sides of humanity and watching these events unfold and the public either participating to some extent or certainly doing nothing to stop them, I definitely didn't think it was likely that there were these kind of bright lines against massive violence like this. Scott and Ben are academics. So they decided to test this idea to really try and find out whether it was people's attitudes toward the bomb that had changed. Or was it something else? Do we just feel differently today about Japan? They came up with an experiment in the form of a public opinion survey. So we designed this not to look at U.S. views about Hiroshima, but U.S. views about doing it again against an enemy that we had hostile feelings towards. There was one obvious candidate. And that's why we chose Iran. Scott and Ben tried to recreate how Americans felt in 1945. That sense of fear, anger, and revenge. So they created a fictional scenario. It's basically World War II, but they replaced Japan with Iran. Kind of like historical fan fiction. Reading it, it's actually not that hard to imagine. Listen to one of the scenarios they included in their survey. The United States had put sanctions back onto Iran after a discovery of a secret nuclear weapons facility. In response, Iran attacked a U.S. ship in the Persian Gulf, killing 2,400 people, the same number who had died at Pearl Harbor. The United States declared war. The uh, president of the United States called for unconditional surrender. But in the scenario... Iran refuses to surrender, just as Japan refused in World War II. And the president has to make a choice. You can have a conventional military campaign 
marching to Tehran and we'll win the war, but our estimate is that 20,000 American soldiers will be killed. That's option A. There's also an option B. Or you can drop an atomic bomb on the second largest city. Instead of invading and losing all those American lives, you can drop one nuclear weapon. But it will kill two million Iranian civilians. So Scott and Ben sent off the survey questions to a polling firm. A huge representative group of Americans answered them, and then the results came back. What we found was more shocking than I had been prepared for. 59%. That's how many Americans opted for the nuclear strike. That's how many opted to kill 2 million Iranian civilians. Men, women, children. Somehow, that wasn't even the worst part. In all of our surveys, when we asked people, would you prefer using nuclear weapons in this scenario or conventional weapons, we next asked them, tell us why. So let me just read a few of the statements that our respondents made. One wrote, wipe them out, all leaders and followers. Another wrote, bomb the hell out of them. They're all barbaric animals anyway. Dirty Muslim lives are less valuable than American lives. One wrote, don't stop until they're dead. And finally, one person wrote, they attacked us first, therefore show no mercy. Nuclear taboo? Not so much. This study had tapped into something really dark, and way more widespread than Scott or Ben expected. I do remember that moment um, with my jaw kind of dropped because I had expected those numbers to be significant, but not that high. I thought we might get 30% sort of hardcore right-wing hawks uh, saying, I don't care what happens uh, in Iran. But, you know, the numbers that we got obviously include a significant number of, of Democrats um, and uh, we can't just uh, conclude that these are the, the fringes of the American public. Later, on another of our trips to Hiroshima, Scott presented the findings. We were back in that same hotel ballroom. Up on the screen is a bar graph showing how many Americans are willing to nuke Iran. And do you remember, I see, I actually vividly remember the first time you showed that slide at the Prince Hotel in one of our meetings. Do you remember doing that? Yeah, because I was concerned that that would be offensive to the Japanese, um, as it is to some Americans. Um, I, I know that many in Japan believe that there's a taboo, and but what they really mean is that they think there should be a taboo. It's comforting to think it couldn't happen again. Comforting, but wrong. I believe this should make us really worried because it suggests that leaders who can take aggressive acts are less likely to be punished for those things and that the public will be a goad in crises rather than being a constraint. That is uh, not a happy lesson to be learned.
they attacked us first. They're barbaric animals. Sometimes it's hard for me to imagine that people are this cruel. And then I'll catch a bit of cable news. The president tweeted out that they will pay a big price. He said this is not a warning, this is a threat and a New Year's message. Uh, Mr. Secretary, what is President Trump's willingness to further engage there? This is a Fox News interview with Trump's Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper. Of accomplishing our mission on the ground, and and he's absolutely correct that uh, if anybody challenges us, they will be met with a, a severe response, a strong response by U.S. forces. What does that severe, strong response look like? Well, I'm not going to I'm not going to telegraph what we're going to do, but people know that we have vast capability to to do any number of things. Uh, we will act in response to actions by uh, Iran or its proxies, and we will act to preempt any attacks on our forces, our personnel. And now our aim is to deter further Iranian bad behavior that has been going on now for over 40 years. It's Mm -hmm. time that Iran has started acting like a normal country. It's a long list of bad behavior, and I'm glad you brought that up. It's a little bit like the sandbox from grade school, and sometimes bullies don't understand sanctions, they don't understand tough talk, deployments, airstrikes against proxies. Uh, Bullies understand a punch in the nose. Is there a time that the Iranian bullies and the Ayatollahs need a punch in the nose to their leadership. If you attack us, we'll attack you. This isn't some fringe idea. It is the whole idea of how nuclear weapons are supposed to work. It's simple. I ask my son, why did you hit your brother? And he says, because he hit me first. Most academics call this nuclear deterrence. A friend of mine once called it the power to hurt. At the beginning of this series, I filled up a bucket with BBs to try to explain how much power to hurt we have in the world today. I said that it was bizarre that we live with enough firepower to kill every person on Earth, and most people don't even think about it. After the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Albert Einstein said something similar, that the atomic bomb had changed everything except our way of thinking. What he meant was this. The idea of responding to violence with violence? That no longer makes any sense when we are talking about thousands and thousands of nuclear weapons. No one wins a nuclear war. Nuclear weapons are a shared danger to everyone. What was so special about the Iran nuclear deal, in my opinion, was that we took a shared danger and created a shared solution. A future with fewer bombs, not more. It was an opening to a relationship that didn't depend on the power to hurt. Without the deal, Iran may build nuclear weapons. And America and Israel will keep building up their nuclear arsenals too. We think we're enemies, but we are really making a choice together. Because we're betting that no one will ever do anything stupid with their nuclear weapons that we are so much smarter than the people who lived before, and that the nuclear taboo will work perfectly forever. 
It's not that I wake up every day thinking that today is the day we're going to die in a nuclear war. It's that I know if we keep choosing more nuclear weapons forever, someday our luck will run out. The Deal was produced by me, Jeffrey Lewis, along with Aaron Davis, Mitchell Johnson, and Juliette Lewini. Additional help from Jessica Varnum and Ellie Barney. Editorial support from Julia Barton. Our original score is by Hannes Brown. Special thanks to the James Martin Center for Nonproliferation Studies, the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey, and Middlebury College. And additional thanks to the amazing Tom Lehrer, a living legend, for permission to use his song, We'll All Go Together When We Go.